the hidden thread running our modern life. From strings of cables thousands of feet beneath the surface of the seas, to a constellation of satellites high above in the sky. In this special report, we zoom in on information superhighways, undersea cables and satellites, how our daily lives rely on them, and how adversarial powers like Russia and China could be poised to disrupt them. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Thousands of miles above and below, our communication courses through satellites and undersea cables. 99% of all uh, communications around the world, for example, go via submarine cables. There's this tendency to believe that we are now reliant solely on satellites for communications. But 1% of the global communications traffic goes via satellites. Satellites are different, uh, have different values uh, for surveillance and for uh, global positioning and other things. And certainly they, they play a role in, in communications and as backups for submarine cables. That's Greg Copley, president of the International Strategic and Studies Association. He notes how almost all of our modern life runs through these undersea cables, from finance to online shopping, communications and entertainment. It's all powered by over 500 undersea cables spanning half a million miles. Copley notes how that 1% for satellites plays an important role. But first, let's zoom in on undersea cables. Given all the communications humming through these cables, they've been dubbed the world's information superhighways. But in the current world environment, the cable's strategic and military importance has been pushed under the spotlight. Undersea cables are literally crossing no man's land. If you think of the reality of, of human history throughout the millennia, and even today, there's no such thing as international law. There's only your ability to project your power and to defend your assets. And undersea cables are really projections of, of national capabilities and the like. A report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies notes diplomats and military orders pass through classified cables. The report states, this reliance on subsea cables to project and sustain power will increase in the future, as the military applications of 5G are many in terms of intelligence, command and control, or unmanned and autonomous vehicles. And this reliance is only expected to go up. That's driven by the demand for data. The CSIS report notes the demand for bandwidth is expected to double every two years with the shift to 5G and cloud services. But who owns these cables? Uh, today, you've got most major countries involved in uh, laying and controlling cables. And the Chinese regime is no different. Copley notes China controls several important cables through Southeast Asia, which could be turned into tools of destruction in the event of a war. And in the event of a conflict over Taiwan, for example, they could cut off a lot of the communications of places like Vietnam or the Philippines or Malaysia and the like. Uh, and, and they also have the ability to access and to control undersea cables around uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, particularly the Solomon Islands, and over to Guam. So the ability to disrupt cable traffic is quite uh, easy and quite profound. Given how important these cables are, there's two big vulnerabilities facing them. 
the physical and the digital. Cables have to go up against Mother Nature, from rocky seabeds to undersea volcanoes, and the occasional shark curious for a nibble. Although shark bites accounted for 0% of cable faults, those fall under the physical side. But the digital side is where the growing concern is. Submarine cables and the satellite communications are critical to the projection of, sub, uh, of cyber warfare to disrupt uh, our societies. That's because when it comes to cyber warfare... Cyber warfare depends on getting into, uh, for example, our electrical grid, in, uh, which, which uh, governs our life today. We're second by second dependent on the unbroken supply of electricity. A report by the Atlantic Council think tank notes the growing risks authoritarian regimes like Beijing and Moscow poses to undersea cables. The report notes the risk is threefold. Firstly, authoritarian regimes, especially in Beijing, are reshaping the Internet's physical layout through companies that control Internet infrastructure to route data more favorably, gain better control of Internet choke points, and potentially gain espionage advantage. Secondly, companies managing undersea cables are getting more and more control over the cables, which raises new levels of operational security risks. And thirdly, the explosive growth of cloud computing has increased the volume and sensitivity of data crossing these cables. If you can get in by whatever means, either by cable or by satellite, into your adversaries' networks, you can disrupt them. And the, and the People's Republic of China learned that lesson very well. Uh, they learned um, from uh, Gulf War One, particularly, how easy it was to disrupt an adversary's cable traffic. They learned from the Balkan Wars against Serbia, in particular, just how easy it is to, to get in and disrupt such systems. That being said, most of the damage so far stems from commercial fishing, shipping and underwater earthquakes. That makes up roughly 150 to 200 subsea cable faults every year. As a quick refresher, there are currently over 500 undersea cables, and most of them retire after two decades in use. As a buffer against all those threats, cables have eight layers, with the innermost being the fiber optics the data is actually transmitted on. The first five are all for protection. Given the increasingly important role undersea cables play, not just for communications but global power projection, there are steps that can be taken to secure them. The capacity to repair and replace submarine cables uh, rapidly is now uh, better than ever. Certainly uh, the, the ability to do that is is still not quick enough, you'd certainly have to have in place uh, satellite and high-frequency terrestrial communications. Speaking of those satellites, let's shift our gaze from the bottom of the ocean, thousands of miles above, to the outermost layers of our atmosphere. As Copley mentioned, 1% of our communications goes through these satellites, but that 1% is important. The most well-known is probably the GPS system. From uh, the, the late 1970s onward, GPS has revolutionized not just navigation for aircraft and ships and the such, but has also become an essential part of the electronic infrastructure of countries around the globe. Uh, by this I mean 
the timing signals that GPS uh, broadcasts based on highly accurate clocks helps to run uh, systems as diverse as uh, ATM machines at your bank to uh, the, the, the pumps at your gas station. Uh, it kind of it ties all of these systems and, and so many others together. That's Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. He highlights the key element GPS provides, timing. GPS receivers decode certain signals that sync up with powerful clocks. And that level of precision is needed in a variety of economic activities around the world. From electrical power grids to financial networks, as well as military operations. Coming up, we hear more from experts how satellites have a key role to play in our daily lives, despite only making up 1% of our communications, how nuclear weapons tie in, and what steps can be taken to protect our way of life. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. GPS systems, Global, GLONASS, and BIDO are also responsible for guiding nuclear weapons, intercontinental ballistic missiles, submarine-launched ballistic missiles, and many kinds of theater nuclear weapon systems as well. Now, to take down these systems, attack strategies often begin on the ground. Militaries for decades have deployed uh, systems to jam GPS systems. GPS signals. And uh, we likely do the same thing to block BIDO and uh, GLONASS signals. I mean, this is, this is a self-defense measure in order to uh, make it more difficult for precision-guided bombs to, uh, to hit us. And uh, the Chinese and Russians do the same. In terms of conflict, Fisher notes. The main competition will be kinetic. The Chinese and the Russians will be trying to shoot down or damage the American GPS satellites. And in response, the United States will probably be doing the same to the Chinese and Russian satellites. If that were to happen, Fisher says it could get messy and the fallout could have long lasting impacts here on Earth. There are a lot of these navigation satellites uh, if you're going to do, to hit them to explode, you're going to create thousands upon thousands of pieces of debris in a, in a very high orbit that's, that's going to be descending for many, many years and, and causing havoc with other satellites, manned uh, space missions and the such. Uh, the United States and China have the ability to disrupt the navigation satellite systems without blowing them up. But the question is, is whether they will do that. Now, if satellites were attacked in a time of war, the U.S. does still have two tricks up its sleeve. The United States has for a long time been working on uh, better and better internal navigation systems, internal navigation systems that are smaller, that you can put on a, 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 a small as a microchip or even smaller than that. And so... If, this, if the satellite systems were taken down, the United States would still have some capability to conduct precision strikes. 
but the, it, it, it would depend on how many weapons that we have that are equipped with much more modern and much more capable internal navigation systems. That's the first option, weapons equipped with an internal navigation system that can still conduct precision strikes without relying on satellites. But that's not the only way. Our missiles have also, uh, probably since the late 1960s or, or earlier, uh, have been relying on uh, stellar navigation systems. You know, the missile is at its, its highest point, its apogee, and there's a little camera that takes a picture of the sky. And uh, certain stars uh, are, are then aligned and coordinated, and uh, the missile is able to navigate by simply looking at the stars overhead. If the stars are you know, inf infinitesimally out of alignment with what the, uh, the computer is expecting to see, then a, a small correction can be made so that uh, accuracy is maintained. So for, for almost the beginning of the nuclear missile age, at least the United States has had this secondary uh, navigation capability. And it's quite likely that Russian and Chinese missiles uh, use, use the same uh, stellar-based secondary navigation system. And the issue goes beyond the strategic level. These satellites also impact our daily lives. If GPS was taken offline... This would cause extreme disruption within the United States economy and the economies of our major allies. And really most large, mature, industrialized nations uh, rely on GPS. And so all of the functions that are tied to the timing signals of GPS would be affected in these countries as they would in the United States. You couldn't get money out of the bank. Uh, you couldn't pump gas. Uh, this, this is a huge, would be a huge disruption in our lives. Copley notes one risk is when both satellites and undersea cables are either disrupted or taken offline. The first to go would be the way we currently learn about events. You'd find that you, you would be increasingly cut off from, from news. Uh, so that what, what we're seeing today, of course, is this in, seamless global coverage by, uh, uh, by television news and by radio news and the like, and of course, even by, by news wire services to newspapers. So that would be disrupted immensely. You'd be, become far more dependent on governments to, uh, if you like, issue news as to what's happening in, in, within the conflict. There's also another big sector that would be hit, the economic front. Now, the public would suffer because it would, would lack the ability to seamlessly communicate. Uh, the economic world would suffer enormously because right now we see uh, stock exchange trades and, and commodity trades being conducted in real time around the world, uh, largely because of the ability of computers and these uh, modern fiber optic cables. And if that's disrupted, then you'll get a disruption in, in trade. For just an inkling on how vital these undersea cables are, over some $10 trillion in financial transfers passes through these cables daily. That's according to a deep dive by California-based research and media company Government Technology. Now, one way of protecting against that is multiple avenues of communication. 
One that's popping up on the horizon is Elon Musk's Starlink. The satellite-based internet service is particularly useful in disadvantaged locations where physical cables are not feasible. It's one more uh, system capable of uh, providing communications, not just two-way communications, but also in, in being able to broadcast around the world. So you have uh, the ability for, for communities to remain in contact with the news um, more. So uh, the more there are of these kinds of systems which have uh, scores and scores of satellites in, in low Earth orbit and, and the like, the harder it is to take them all out. So. Uh, it's, it's very significant. Fisher also explains another important factor. Uh, Starlink is basically a internet system uh, and uh, as such it is uh, largely providing a communications service. Now because it is, is, is aiming to be an internet in the sky it can do many more things. Uh, uh, besides just just communication. Uh, it is not yet clear that uh, uh, Musk is, is going to incorporate a navigation function into the Starlink con constellation. But if Starlink were to move beyond just communications, Fisher notes what that might look like. There has been some mention of a possible surveillance capability. Camera, electronic cameras, uh, powerful electronic cameras can be made fairly small and uh, provide uh, a, a useful strategic level of information. I mean, down to about 10 meters uh, or, or resolution uh, or thereabouts. Uh, it's, it's probably uh, a, an ongoing issue for Elon Musk's Starlink Corporation regarding how many more functions to add to their satellites? Because uh, adding functions adds to expense, and when you're when you're talking about forty-two thousand satellites, uh, that's not a small expense. Even without added perks, Starlink has already played a role in global events. We saw that um, Elon Musk provided the Starlink to Ukraine as a gift to help them with their communications, and it certainly did. Going forward, if society is to keep chugging along in an information-rich world, there's a few things the concerned citizen could do to offset any major disruptions, like if war was to break out. The best way to protect yourself is to have your own redundant power systems uh, and power and water systems, which can kick in in the event that the major grids, whether, whether electrical or water grids, are closed down because of conflict or because of natural disaster. Uh, you need to be to have that ability to uh, set up uh, satellite, uh, sorry, not satellite, uh, solar power collection, uh, extensive battery capabilities, and to be able to have your house and your com and your neighbors' houses and community online again very, very quickly. And then you need to have the ability to uh, purify water uh, at a local level. These are the two key things which will make societies sustainable in the event of a major international conflict. If steps aren't taken, we could be rendered deaf, dumb, and blind. That's because the Western infrastructure is so much more extensive and delicate 
than the than the Chinese and Russian infrastructure. That in a, in the event of a hot conflict, uh, that's where we'd be blinded first, and we obviously need to build up our capabilities to have an instant redress to that kind of attack. As experts note, our current way of life runs on a very fragile network of undersea cables and a smattering of satellites in the skies. And with the current uncertainty in global stability, experts note it's not too late to start beefing up defenses, both on the individual level and as a nation. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.